First Corinthians has been called the most practical of Paul's books. Second Corinthians, the most personal. First Corinthians focuses on the ministry of how the church is to run. Second Corinthians focuses on the minister and the life of integrity of that leader. Some have said that First Corinthians is really Second Corinthians, and it's possible that Second Corinthians is not only Third Corinthians, but perhaps Fourth Corinthians. Let me explain. We know that First Corinthians was not the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. First Corinthians chapter five says, I have written to you, I have already written to you in my first letter, and he talks about it. Which means that First Corinthians is actually Second Corinthians, which would normally make Second Corinthians Third Corinthians, ah, except for the fact that Second Corinthians chapter two, verses three and four say, I wrote to you as I did. I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart. And there are many that say that that could not have been referring to First Corinthians, which we now know is Second Corinthians, but probably Third Corinthians, which would make Second Corinthians Fourth Corinthians. If you are confused, I'll see you later. I'll be glad to talk that through with you. But this book, instead of going toe-to-toe, and let me say there is a time for a pastor to go toe-to-toe. There's a time where a pastor needs to, out of love, confront and speak the truth. It's not a side of pastoring that I relish, but it's a part of pastoring that I have learned not to shrink back from. This week, a matter has surfaced that I need to confront. It's a matter of purity and integrity as a ministry. And I and the leaders in our church are responsible and held accountable for what goes on and to make sure that this is a safe place and a place of integrity. None of us are perfect. It's not like we swat each other on the wrist if we're out of line in little ways and we all walk around uptight. But there is a time over issues that are plain and moral issues where there needs to be confrontation. And that was done in what we know as 1 Corinthians. Now, this book we know as 2 Corinthians, Paul moves beyond the toe-to-toe confrontation and he gets his arms out, his shepherding, loving arms, and pulls them close and speaks heart to heart. Chapter 3, For you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. Chapter 6, Open wide our hearts. Chapter 7, Make room for us in your heart. Again, chapter 7, You have such a place in our hearts. Now, for every book, we get a bird's eye view. And there are three sections to the book of 2 Corinthians. The first section is the nature of ministry. And there's a whole lot in there, the first seven chapters. Then the money of ministry, chapters 8 and 9. And then the credentials that show the integrity of the ministry, chapters 10 through 13. Now, I was all excited about this message. For several weeks I've been working on this message, and I thought, oh, this is perfect, because 
Second Corinthians talks about the money of ministry. And I thought this is perfect. Our month of July when we're going to be giving to pay down our mortgage. What a great opportunity for me to address money. And the Bible says there in 2 Corinthians to give generously, to give sacrificially, to give wholeheartedly, to give cheerfully. But I don't get to preach it. Then I thought, okay, that's all right, but I'm going to preach on what the the ministry of reconciliation. Chapter 5, it gets right to the heart of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And it says, God has reconciled us to Himself in Jesus Christ. And not only has He reconciled us, He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And I thought, praise God, I get to preach on what the Christian life is all about and the ministry of reconciliation. And it not only says that we have the ministry of reconciliation, as if in some general way we all work together at leading people to faith in Christ and being that bridge to, to, to win the lost, but very specifically, not only have we been given the ministry of reconciliation, it goes on and it says that we've each been given the message of reconciliation. That that's not just something given to the professionals or to a few outstanding evangelists. Every one of us have been given the message of reconciliation. And we're talking about reconciliation not like two friends that haven't seen each other and discover each other on Facebook and all of a sudden they're reconciled. That's not reconciled. That's finding an old friend. But you've still been friends, you've just been out of touch. Reconciled is when you had somebody that you were really at odds with. You couldn't stand them. You knew they couldn't stand you either. And somehow your hearts both had a change and now you are reconciled. That's the picture of us and God. We who were strangers to God, who were at odds with God. Now we've been reconciled to Him. It's an amazing word picture that's so warm and relational. Is us participating with God in this magnificent ministry of reconciliation. And how it's the love of Christ that motivates us to be involved in this ministry of reconciliation. But I don't get to preach that either. Here's the message from 2 Corinthians. And it cuts to the heart of the book. And it's one that we need this morning more than the other. Let's begin with chapter 2, verse 14. If you would, take your notes, take your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph, or in triumphal procession, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of Christ. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. Now this is a picture of a military king war hero who led his troops into battle. They defeated the enemy and now he is at the front of the processional either riding on a horse-drawn carriage or being carried through the streets on poles that are being lifted by his 
his lieutenants and generals and colonels and all the rest of them, followed by his army. And then at the back of the procession are the prisoners of war who have been captured. And from his cart, from his elevated position, being carried along through the streets with mobs of people cheering, he's now picking up and scooping up coins and throwing them to the crowds. That's the picture. That Jesus is always leading us in triumphal procession. Now, most of us don't have a clue what it means to be led in triumphal procession. Because we think, we think, if I'm truly following Jesus then everything's going to be going good and I'll be always walking in victory. I won't be facing any adversity and my life will be like peaches and cream, a bed of roses, if I'm following Him because He's always leading us in triumphal procession. We come to this conclusion and it's a false conclusion. I'm going to prove it to you. Chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we are suffering. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Even in our own hearts, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, does that sound like a triumphal procession to you? To chapter 4. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in us. Does that sound like a triumphal procession to you? Beaten down? Perplexed? Crushed? Hard-pressed, persecuted, carrying around the death of Jesus? Look at chapter 6, verse 4. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten but not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Does that sound like a triumphal procession to you? That's not all. He saves the most amazing list to the end. Chapter 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, 
been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, that's even worse. Once I was stoned, that's normally uh, fatal. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger of my own countrymen, that's the Jewish uh, leaders, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside all else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. Does that sound like triumphal procession to you? Did Paul lose his way? Was there this highway that leads to Disney World that somehow Paul lost his way on? No. Paul's telling what being led in triumphal procession looks like. I mean, if this was a job description, you wouldn't have a long line of people waiting to sign up. The longer you're with the company, the, the less sleep you're going to get, the less pay, the longer hours, the more ridicule, the more people are going to misunderstand you. Have we not all faced adversity when we wondered, what did I do, God, to, to make you so angry? Where did I go wrong? says here that you always lead in triumphal procession, but my life doesn't look very triumphant right now. I'm not sure I signed on for this. But then Paul unpacks a pearl. It's a word that God spoke to him. See, this is perhaps why it's called the most personal of all of Paul's letters. Chapter 12, verse 9. He says, Then God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what is it that reveals our weakness? When we're getting pay raise after pay raise? When our property values are through the roof? When our kids are just following right in line and following Jesus, when everything's going smooth, does that showcase our weakness? I'm telling you, there's something here for us. There's a powerful message here. And when Paul got it, when he understood what it means that God's grace is enough, Perhaps it's become overused, but I'm going to say it again for our reminder. 
When God's all you have, you realize God's all you need. My grace is enough. In fact, there's a critical moment when we realize that God's all I've got and God's all I need. That we don't come to unless we're there. Imagine being adrift in the Mediterranean for 24 hours or longer. A day and a night. Adrift. Bobbing like a piece of driftwood. I mean, he must have been a pretty good swimmer. Can you imagine? Swimming out there. God, this doesn't seem like the triumphal procession I was expecting. My grace is enough. Or when he was beaten with the rods. Oh, good, I'm glad I got that over. And then the second time, oh, good grief, here it comes. And then the third time, oh, God, wasn't the first time enough? No, it took you three times to realize, my grace is enough. Okay, I I think I got it now. Your, Your grace is enough. So what's he then say? The next verse, verse 10. Therefore, I will all the more gladly boast in my weakness so that the power of God might be revealed in me. Now, when are we going to realize that God gives us our strengths to test us and so that we steward them for His glory? But far more often, God's going to really show Himself in all of His splendor more through our weakness than our strength. Would you allow God to show you that with the things you're facing today? Would you allow the weaknesses that are being revealed in your life to lead you to embrace the grace of God and the sufficiency of the grace of God like you have never embraced before? So that you could even boast. Who boasts in their weakness? I mean, it is, it's like a total, uh, opposite. In fact, it's impossible to boast in your weakness, which is exactly the point. The only thing you can ever boast in is what you do well. What we pride ourselves in. But see, when it comes to God, He, he doesn't like it when we pride ourselves. Yeah, I know I gave you that strength, but don't think it's any good unless you're connected with me properly. No, when Paul was being whipped 39 times, God was saying, my grace is enough for you. When he would be up all night, when he was being lowered down off off a wall in a basket, God was saying, my grace is enough for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Now, I think there was a critical moment. Who knows where it came along the journey. But somewhere, Paul realized along the journey, oh my! These adversities and trials and difficulties are not disruptions 
to God's perfect plan. These are part of His perfect plan. And he learned to embrace God in the middle of them. And to rejoice. Not necessarily in the adversity, but in the God who was bigger than the adversity and enough for him in the adversity. Have you embraced the God who's big enough in the adversity? We are, after all, followers of one who's at the front of the triumphal procession, who himself was betrayed and crucified and buried. And there's something about those who are in the triumphal procession who also go through some kind of death and burial. So that then they can walk, not in their own strength, but in the life of Christ who gives them whatever they have and they follow the same one who's at the front of the pack. That's my Jesus. But I can't even say I'm being led in triumphal procession if I'm not willing to embrace Christ when He's all I've got in the middle of my difficulty. Because it's in those moments that He leads me in triumphal procession. Any Tom, Dick, and Harry or Mary, Martha, and Joan can feel like they're following in triumphal procession when everything's sailing along without a ripple. But what it means when Jesus leads us in triumphal procession, it's that God is with us through the storms of life, and He who conquered all adversity and conquered death itself will conquer our adversities with us when we dare to die to self and our own selfishness in the midst of those difficulties. And we quit pouting and fussing and complaining and grumbling like a bunch of spoiled children. This is a little counterintuitive this morning. But I'm thankful as your pastor to be able to tell you the truth. We can embrace suffering as believers. And yet we can walk not like martyrs, not with our head down, but walk in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, especially in the midst of adversity. We're not crazy. We're people of faith who know that Jesus, who died, is risen today. And when we choose to identify with Christ in our adversity and be united with Him in His death and in His sufferings, He will lead us in triumph. And just like some perfume bottles, they've got to be opened to become fragrant. Or spice needs to be broken and crushed until it gives off the savory taste and aroma. So God needs to loosen us up and at times break us so that He through us can spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. Amen. Father, 
take the Word of God and apply it, feed us. No matter what else we eat this holiday weekend, we want to feed on the truth of Your Word. And Lord, deliver us from a mindset that is shaped by Hollywood or Wall Street when it comes to us defining success and even defining victory. Lord, we want to find victory in the downs as well as the ups. And Lord, I thank You that You are leading us as a church family in a triumphal procession in Jesus Christ. Amen.